Hello, and welcome to One Single Thought, the podcast where two Christian single women take theological deep dives and bring perspectives on life, mixed with levity and joy. Well, Heather, we're back here in Studio WIC. Yeah, we are, and it's cold outside. It is cold outside. The day that we're recording this episode was the first snowfall of our season here in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for it. And it was like 70 degrees yesterday, and now it's 30 degrees, and I'm not happy about it. But let me tell you what I'm happy about. What is that? I am happy that we are on episode 11. 11? 11. You know, in our last episode, the Holiday Gift Guide, we forgot to mention that we hit double digits. Mm-hmm. So we are now in the world of double digits, and we have survived past the seven episode curse we're still (laughs) recording and now we're in double digits and today's episode we are doing a new thing what is that isn't there like a worship song god is doing a new thing that was a dc talk song oh that's right a new thing (laughs) uh so today we're doing a new thing (laughs) like dc talk we are going to we're be... We're so dorky. We're, yes. <laughs> I mean, we love our, our audience because they keep on listening and we don't sometimes know why. Mm-hmm. So we are interviewing today a special guest. Our first special guest we've ever had on the podcast, today's yes. episode, is an interview with our own pastor, Dr. Bill Cook. Dr. Cook. Dr. Cook. We love Dr. Cook. But aside from loving Dr. Cook, let me share a few things about why we decided to interview him, why we chose him. You know, Dr. Cook is not only our pastor, but he's also a professor and also uh, a prolific author. And today in the interview, we're going to talk with him about the books that he's written, especially his newest book, which is Journey Through the New Testament. And then we're also going to move into discussing a lot about what is, are the characteristics of a healthy church. We feel like Ninth and No Baptist mm. Church, our church, which we'll link in the show notes, mm. is a healthy church. I mean, we're not without our problems, but we do believe that our church is is one of the healthiest. So before we get started with the interview, just to give a little background, Heather, why don't you introduce him to our audience? All right. So Dr. Bill Cook is a professor at Southern Seminary. Before he came to Louisville, he was the associate professor of New Testament and chair of the theology division at Florida Baptist Theological College, and he taught there for 10 years. He received a Master of Divinity at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and a Doctor of Philosophy from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Cook currently serves as the Professor of New Testament Interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary here in Louisville since the year 2000. He has been our lead pastor since 2001, so as soon as he came here for teaching at Southern. He joined our staff as senior pastor, Mm -hmm. making him our church's longest tenured pastor. He's originally from Ashland, Kentucky, and in his spare time enjoys watching UofL sports. That's University of Louisville sports and spending time with his family. He is married to Jay Lynn and they have three children and seven grandchildren. Big family. And so we're going to save our one single thought until the end because we want Dr. Cook, we asked him to share his thoughts on summing up his his thoughts into one final thought we could share with our listeners. And we're going to make that our one single thought for today. So we're going to wait to the end of the interview. Um, this interview has been pre-recorded. We recorded it a few days ago. 
And so, Rose, let's listen to that interview now. Listen, you all are not ready for this interview. You're not ready. I'm just telling you, it's awesome. All right, here we go. Well, thanks for joining us, Dr. Cook. You are officially our first special guest. So we're very excited about that. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Our first question we have for you today, we know that being a pastor and a professor, that you're also a very prolific writer. Uh, Could you share with us the books you've written? I know you've edited some as well, but kind of give us your cadre of books that are published and to come. Okay. Very good. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be with you ladies. You're two of my wife's best friends, two of my (laughs) favorite uh, people. And so it's, uh, it's an honor to be with you. So my, the first book would be uh, Spiritual Warfare in the Storyline of Scripture, and that I co-wrote with uh, Chuck Lawless. And then the second book, and they may not exactly be in the right, in the right order. It's not like I've written that many. I just get confused about what came, <laughs> what came when and in, and in what order. The second one maybe is 40 Days in Mark. And that's a series of devotionals that were written by four men. I was one of the men. And these were intended to take a reader of the Bible through a biblical book in 40 days, helping them learn to read the book and to think about uh, the application of of the book. And I did the, the Gospel of Mark on that book. And then I have written a book most recently. So I'm I am jumping, jumping around. My most recent book is Journey Through the New Testament. And that book came to me out of literally from out of the blue. Tom Rayner and Tyndale Publishers were doing a series for churches. And so they they asked me to contribute uh, to contribute that volume, which I was very glad to to do. I have written a book on jesus final week and so uh, i i'm very very uh passionate about jesus studies that's the area that i focus on in my academic uh career at the seminary and so that book meant uh has meant quite a bit uh, to me i have um a book that i'm working on now called the first christmas and the subtitles from heaven to earth and so that will be on uh, the birth and infancy narratives in Matthew and uh, Luke. And that is due early, early next year. And then a book that will be coming out next year is Victory Over the Enemy, Defeating the World, the Flesh and the Devil, which is the sequel to the Spiritual Warfare book. Also, this book is written by, by Chuck Lawless. And so I'm very, very excited about, about that book. Uh, it's a book, I think, that is going to be more helpful for the church than even the book Spiritual Warfare and the Storyline of Scripture was. So I, I think that's all of them. That's a lot. It is a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So you're talking about your latest book, which is Journey Through the New Testament, and you you were pulled in to collaborate on that. Do you have a specific motivation that moved you to contribute? To that book you know so they they called me uh one afternoon tom rayner did who um is the president of an organization known as church answers and so he's got uh literally thousands of people that read his blogs and uh 
hundreds and hundreds of churches that he does consultations and things with. And so they were putting together a series of books to help churches educate their lay people. And so that was, uh, that was the pitch that was made to me. And that's something that I'm very passionate about. I think that scholarship ultimately is for the church mm. and, that, uh, and that this gave me an opportunity to take you know, almost around 30 years of New Testament teaching and put down in 55,000 or so words mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. I think are the most important things for a lay person to know about each book mm -hmm. of the New Testament. Yeah, I'm I'm just now I think I told you the other day that I'm still on chapter one, but on but I really appreciate how easy it is to read. Um, I think pretty much anyone of any education level could read this and understand it. And I really love how you have the the diagrams in here too. There's a diagram on the temple in here. Uh -huh. um, and then some charts and stuff. So it's not just a bunch of text, which I think is pretty good to keep people's interest. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I tried to make it conversational in mm -hmm. in the presentation. And, you know, I really like the way that you've taken each book. So each chapter basically is a book of the New Testament. And first you give us the big picture, then you give us the outline, and then you dig into scripture, and then you actually close out with some application from the message of that book. And I, I agree with Heather. I like the I specifically like the temple diagram. Mm -hmm. um, we could get into a conversation about the court of women, but we won't today. <laughs> but that would be great. I would love, I mean, I just, I'm very fascinated by the temple layout. But yes. if a church or a Bible study group, because I think you you mentioned, maybe not, I, I think maybe even mentioned in the, like the trailer that Southern Seminary put out of the book that you were kind of focusing this for toward lay people, as you said earlier. Mm -hmm. But if a church or like a Bible study group wanted to use this as a study resource, as a book to do a Bible study with, I mean, are there any tips you could give them from the perspective of the author that would be good for them to, to apply when using this book? You know, I think that uh, the book works best when it's read with the Bible. Uh -huh. And so I think, you know, it, depending which book, which uh, if you well, just say you start in Matthew, and uh, if everybody spent one week reading Matthew and maybe just talking about the big, Im uh, the big impression that it gave, then the second week, read what I've written about Matthew. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then I think uh, you're not predisposed by my thoughts about your impression of the Gospel of Matthew. You have your own impression. You share about it as a group and then take whatever insights I might add to it. And, and that might be a good way to, to work through the book, particularly for people maybe that are a little bit not like you ladies, but who don't have a very deep understanding of the Bible and who haven't really thought about each book of the Bible and how it's put together and why it unfolds the way that it does and what the content of each book is about. So I think it's best to know the Bible. Then we ought to know as much about the Bible as we can possibly know. Mm -hmm. And so I think that might be one way to, to think about it, Rose. That's great. So I'm real curious about the book you have coming out next summer, uh, Victory mm -hmm. Over the Enemy, summer 2023. Yep. So you shared a little bit about how it's different from your first spiritual warfare book, but what other little insights can we get as a sneak peek for those listening? Yeah. 
Yeah, thank you. And so, you know, Chuck Lawless is a, is a good friend of mine. I consider Chuck to be a, a foremost scholar and practitioner on the, on the topic of spiritual warfare. And, you know, the, the first book we wrote, much of it was intended only to help people understand the Bible does have a lot to say about Satan and demons. Mm-hmm. And we live in a world where we we are either agnostic, we believe in them, but we, we don't act like we believe in them, or we just reject them. Those are the two, mm-hmm. those are the two extremes. Mm-hmm. So although the Bible is a the Bible is a book about God, I did the portion of the book that I did to try and help people understand there's a lot about the enemy. Mm-hmm. And we want to know all that we can about God. We want to know all that we can about the enemy. And so that book focused almost exclusively on, on the devil and demons and where they occur in scripture. This book expands out the discussion to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Mm. And we have a three-headed monster that we fight in, in the area of holiness and spiritual growth. One of them is an inside enemy, the flesh. And then we have the world and uh, and the devil working in tandem with our with our flesh to try and keep us from glorifying God by growing spiritually. So this book is really a book about sanctification. Mm. There, I wrote a chapter on the devil. I wrote a chapter on the world. I wrote a chapter on the flesh. I wrote a chapter on prayer as war and how mm. our prayers life particularly or, or the prayer focus of our lives should be particularly on intercession. Mm-hmm. I wrote a chapter on union with Christ that we have absolutely nothing to fear because Christ dwells in us. We dwell in him and we, he has given us all of the resources we need to do spiritual battle against spiritual enemies, particularly uh, because of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The presence and the power of the Spirit give us all that we need to walk mm-hmm. in to walk in in victory mm-hmm. and then chuck in his portion of the book will deal with things that are very practical like how to read the bible uh how to develop a prayer life and so he'll take things that i mentioned in my section and uh and bring out an even more practical uh discussion about the the nuts and bolts of putting these things into into practice nice well, i'm ready to read it now i'm ready to read that book right now yeah. so, okay you mentioned another book that you're working on right now mm-hmm. about the first christmas from heaven to earth yes, yes. Okay, i know it's probably really early but i'm real intrigued so what can you share about that book yeah it's not too early it's due the end of january and so- okay well yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh but i'm not nearly far enough along that you know uh, for me, and, and you ladies both know my testimony that I was saved uh-huh. out of a, of a dark upbringing, a, a very difficult family life, very irreligious background. And so from the very beginning, I've, all, I've, been, I've been infatuated with Jesus in all the right ways. And, and when I decided that I was going to do a PhD, I wanted to do it in New, Te- in New Testament studies about Jesus. When the Lord called me to teach, I wanted my primary focus of teaching to, to be on uh, uh, to be on Jesus. And you all might not have heard of the book, Your God is Too Small. It's a book written by J.B. Mm-hmm. Phillips in the 
probably the middle of the last century. I think the church's view of Jesus, I think our Jesus is too small in the eyes of the church. You can hear it in many churches in, in the lethargic way they sing, mm -hmm. in, the, in the weakness of how they fund world missions, by their lack of passion to, uh, to grow spiritually. And I think the church needs to be revitalized on its view of the person and work of Christ. And so that's why I've focused a lot of my academic uh, career teaching, uh, teaching on the life of Jesus. So I did the book on Jesus final week, which was a challenge because 40% uh, of Mark's gospel deals with the final week. 35% uh, of uh, Matthew, 37% of uh, Luke and almost 45% of John. So you have a, you've got all of this material and you've got to can condense it, uh, condense it down. So that was the challenge to try and make, write a book that was accessible to average Bible students, readers, and would be detailed enough that it could help a person read through it every year and get ready for Easter. They would know what happened on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so that was the, that was behind that. And so as I was working on it, I just thought, you know, why not do the other, the other end of the, of the spectrum, uh, the birth and the incarnation of Jesus. There's a lot less material, just two chapters in Matthew, two chapters in Luke, 18 verses in John. And, and so it, it provides a little bit more of a different challenge, but that's, I think, the motivation. I just want the church of Jesus Christ to to, be, to love Jesus more passionately by understanding who he is and what he's done better. Mm, that's great. Do you, do you see yourself moving to writing more books along the lines of church growth and, and that kind of thing? Do you know, uh, th thank you for the question, Heather, you know, probably, probably not. That is my, mm -hmm. you know, even though I've been a pastor, been your, your pastor and, and Rose's pastor for quite some time, church growth isn't my area of expertise mm -hmm. and uh and i and, and you know to be honest i don't know how many more books i'm i'm actually going to write i'm going to take a pause after this one and uh and think about uh what else if anything i may write but yeah. uh, in in one sense i i genuinely this i i say this not tongue-in-cheek one thing that subtly motivated me to write this book was my wife's love of Christmas. Mm -hmm. And so she loves Christmas. Uh, I'll dedicate the book to her. To, to her. Uh, and so there's a, there's a subtle sense in which I wanted to, to write about the beginning, uh, the birth and infancy narratives, but her love and passion for Christmas kind of propelled me a little bit more, but I'll probably... You know, I might take a, hi a hiatus um, for a little yeah. while. Yeah. You've, you've been writing a flurry of manuscripts for us to read. So we've really appreciated it and sharing you. your They're, knowledge with you know, us. And um, None of them are very big, but uh, <laughs> it, it takes, I'm a slow writer. Yeah. Do you, so I know this might be hard as a New Testament scholar, but do you have one favorite book in the New Testament? Or are they, is it just hard to pick? No, it's not very hard to pick. I would say that the gospel of John mm. is, is my, is my favorite book. And so when 
Southern approached me about coming here. They they asked me if I would my focus of uh, academic research would be studies with with John the Gospel of John, which I was very happy to do. It was a part of my doctoral dissertation. So I I love the Gospel of John and the Synoptic Gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Paul's not too bad, but <laughs> the other the the front end of the of the New Testament canon is my favorite, as you can as you can tell from my early my earlier comments. Yeah, yeah. you know that was one I did leave out. Yeah, I, I the very first book I the very first book <laughs> I ever published was a was a small commentary on the Gospel of on the Gospel of John, and so that was my first uh, my first writing project. Yes. Yes. And we're actually using that for our small group BFG, yeah, I, as we call it, at our church. We're starting John in December. Teachers all got a copy of that so that we could use it as part of our study. I think my small group pastor was trying to get on my good side. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Although he didn't link that as one of his top three commentaries of John's yeah, small groups page. So we got to work on that. <laughs> That's funny. So, you know, Dr. Cook, you're in a really unique situation. You're, you're a seminary professor full-time. You're our senior pastor. How do those roles impact each other as you kind of fill both roles in somewhat of a full-time capacity? You know, it's, uh, it's a busy life, but it's really a wonderful life. I've been blessed to be able to do both. I'm, I'm happiest doing both. I think uh, my church responsibilities make me a better professor. It, it continually reminds me that we're tra I'm training men and women for Christian ministry and missions, and that uh, as important as ethereal discussions may be, the most important thing is to equip men and women for real-life Christian service on the mission field and in the local church. So I think the seminary benefits from that. I think the church benefits from the other because it gives me a little bit of space from getting caught up in, in all of the in all of the trees. That is, I think if I were in the office every day, I wouldn't have as broad a view or as broad a perspective as as I do. So I'm able to step back, you know, a little bit maybe um, better than than the rest of my church staff because I'm I'm not in the in the weeds every day and so it does give me i think a, an opportunity to have a little bit clearer perspective maybe as the as the lead pastor because of that i, I think we're really spoiled to have so many um seminary faculty at our church or in in the past um and i think it's just great that we get such rich theology at our church yeah so speaking of you being our pastor, you are the longest tenured pastor, being our pastor for 21 years, which is so exciting. We love this it. probably means I'm the oldest pastor that, you, <laughs> that you've had to. You know, that's a good question. I don't know that you are. That would, I would have to research that. I don't know that you're the <laughs> oldest, but um, can you share? The title senior fits very well. The <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, we, we don't consider you, I still think you're, you know, in your forties, but that's just Thank me. You. <laughs> so can you share how God brought you to Louisville and to NAOBC? Yeah. So, uh, I was at the, a college in Florida. We loved being there. 
but I heard Al Mohler preach in chapel. I, I said to Jay Lynn, you know, he's got such a vision for theological education, for making an impact through uh, theological education. Uh, I would love to work for him. And so, but then I said, you know, here we're in a small school, we're in Florida, he's in Kentucky, I don't have many contacts, I don't like working through uh, back alley shenanigans, <laughs> it's just an impossibility. And she said, you know, you're, you're a pathetic person, and you talk about brain, <laughs> and you, she said, here, moan and groan. And so we started taking walks several times a week, we would pray, Lord, if there's any way, open up a door. And over uh, after about two years of praying, uh, the provost came to preach in the chapel, and uh, I picked him up at the airport on the way to the on the way to the seminary. He said, "You know, I've, I've written you a letter. You haven't received it yet. I'm inviting you to come and be a guest professor. I've heard a lot about you from students that you you sent to us because I felt like when Dr. Moeller became president, the best thing I could do to help turn Southern around was to send." students to them uh -huh. and so i went up and uh i talked i didn't tell him that my wife and i had been praying about this uh i didn't tell him that uh you know we had been hoping for something some an opportunity but i talked i left and uh, he recommended he, he recommended me to a position at southwestern seminary because he said i'd bring you here but we don't have any openings and uh, and it didn't work out for me at Southwestern. And not long after that, the last of what we might consider the old Southern uh, New Testament professor uh, retired, leaving an opening for me. And so I came to I came to uh, Southern. The last thing we did before we left Florida was we held hands in our living room and we prayed that God would let us find a church that we could love and a church that would love us and that we would be happy. And because we were leaving a church where we were very happy and I was a teaching, a teaching pastor there. And uh, after a couple of months, we were looking for churches. We hadn't found a church. I came to fill the pulpit at Ninth uh, and O and uh, brought my family back that night. And a few weeks later, I became the interim pastor. And then a few months after that, I became the uh, became the lead pastor. And it's been the, the greatest uh, blessing of our of our lives to be there. The rest is history. The rest is history. <laughs> First sermon was preached on September 24th, 2000. We called him as interim pastor on November 1st of 2000 and called him as our permanent pastor April 1st of 2001. So yeah, April, April Fool's, Fool's Day. Day. <laughs> Best day ever. <laughs> we pull one over on them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So at church, we're recently, we're, so we're, we've come through the pandemic mostly, I think um, we are back to our, the same attendance we had pre COVID and yeah. so many churches have struggled since the pandemic of losing members and people just not coming back. What do you think, why have we thrived during this difficult time? Now you've got the pandemic, uh, Heather and social unrest, which just was, mm -hmm you know, so devastating to so many churches. And first is we have we have very committed members. We have a, a strong, strong commitment among our membership. And then our our pastoral team, ministerial staff, men and women on the ministerial staff, you know, we worked very hard to try and keep up with people. So, you know, probably every month 
we would go through the list of all of the names of our church members. And uh, somebody would say, well, I haven't seen them. And somebody would say, you know, well, they've been out uh, sick or no, I haven't seen them. And well, you call them, find out what's going on. So the church, uh, the church staff in particular spent a lot of time trying to keep track of where, of where people were and where a lot of churches lost a lot of people because they didn't like the politic of ma- politics of masks, mask or, yeah. uh, you know, the, the social, uh, the social issues. We lost very, very few people over those particular, mm-hmm. those particular issues. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. It's didn't, didn't our, our giving was super high in 2020, wasn't it? Wasn't it one of the highest? It years? was a hundred. It was a hundred and three percent of our of our budget that year. Yeah, yeah. This past year was very strong at ninety seven, and and uh, mm-hmm. we're at about ninety six as of today. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Um. So I just that just goes to show how healthy we seem to be right now. And uh, we know that no church is perfect, but we, right. we do seem to be in a very healthy spot at the moment. What are the characteristics of a healthy church? How do we know if a church is healthy? You know, I think that there are there are five marks. Four of them, I think we we do very well at. And I'll, I'll mention the the fifth one. You know, we're a church committed to truth. We're committed to preaching, teaching the Bible. You ladies are teachers in our Bible fellowship group. Jalen uh, is your biggest fans, and she regularly shares with me the insights that you all have. So we're committed to preaching the Bible on Sunday mornings. Bible fellowship groups, and then the discipleship groups that we have on Wednesday night have been phenomenally successful where we take a, a, as you ladies know, we take a book, a book that people maybe ordinarily wouldn't read, like Kevin DeYoung, There's a Hole in Your Holiness, or or um, uh, numerous books like that. And so that grounds our people. Second is community. And so I, we work very hard, as you know, for our Bible Fellowship Group members to be genuine friends. And then we try to find ways for crossing generational lines because our Bible Fellowship Groups are age-graded. So our, our quote-unquote Sunday schools age-graded. Our discipleship groups are multi-generational. Our building community nights are multi-generational. So community is absolutely essential people will not stay at a church where they don't have any friends one day they wake up and they say i love the singing i love the preaching i don't have any friends Mm -hmm. and so then the third is worship some maybe it'll be second our worship pastors say it ought to be first but you know we have we have very good uh we have very good worship solid worship and the great thing is being a multi-generational church we have to you you want to be able to try and minister to as many people as possible we are geared more probably toward younger uh younger folks now but i think our older folks are so gracious and so generous because they they want a church for their grandkids Mm-hmm. And their grandkids aren't going to come to a church that looks like a church of the 70s. And so worship is absolutely important. And you guys know we sing very, very loudly. I, <laughs> I'm very, very, very big on loud, bold, confident, uh, confident singing. And then uh, missions. Mm-hmm. And so this past, this, uh, this year, last year, 
as well. We will give somewhere uh, about $250,000 in mission giving. Some of that will be to the cooperative program. Some of that will be to our great commission offering. So a quarter, a quarter million dollars, I think, is what we gave, uh, we gave away last year. So a church of our size, 700 folks or so, that's a lot of commitment to missions. Mm -hmm. And now that we're back again, able to send people on mission trips, uh, the last two trips that we sent out were, were completely full. And so we're, we're back to where we were pre-COVID, which was, I think, every mission trip would fill up. And we would have a waiting list. So I, I hope that's the same going forward. The area that I think it's so we got four strong markers. I think we're not perfect in any of them, but I think we're, we're solid and uh, and I feel comfortable about where we're at. And always wanting to do better and and go deeper uh, is evangelism, personal evangelism. You know, it's probably not our church's strength because it's not my strength. And I think sometimes the church reflects for good or bad, maybe the weaknesses of its of its leadership. Praise God. We've got a few people in our on our church staff that are very evangelistic. Philip Brown, who's our college and singles pastor, Blake Rain, who's our uh, small groups and missions pastor. And then we've got people like like you, Heather, who are very evangelistic. Uh, I've got a friend at the church who's a, a, a eye physician, very, very evangelistic as well. So we have evangelistic people <laughs> and we just need to make sure that we're trying to find ways for that infectious disposition for sharing the faith to make its way more and more through our through our congregation. And so, you know, that that would be the one area where I pray most mm -hmm. for our church, I think. So, Dr. Cook, if we, you know, we're, Heather and I are both members of Ninth and O Baptist Church. Uh, we probably have listeners that are obviously members of our church, but also members of other churches mm -hmm. and maybe part of a church that isn't as healthy as Ninth and O. So as a church member, as an involved church member, and I think this goes for Heather and I also at Ninth and O, how can a member of a church contribute to the healthiness of their church? Well, you know, I think... Exactly what you ladies do. I mean, you're you're committed, you're involved, you're engaged, you love people, you serve the Lord in the in the local church. You're not you're not uh, isolated and fringe, uh, as you hear me talk about sometimes. That, that if you live on the fringes, you, you eventually you eventually drop off. And so, love your church by loving the people and by serving uh, serving the Savior and and uh, and encouraging your leadership. No, Rose, you were at the church before Heather and before mm -hmm. Jaylen and I, and, and uh -huh. when we went to the church, it was filled with good people, but I don't think it was a healthy, a healthy church. No, we and were, so, we were far from healthy when you came on the scene. <laughs> yeah, the great thing is you have, we have the foundation there mm -hmm. to begin to build very quickly, a very healthy church. But the thing that, uh, that enabled it, us to do that was there were people like you and you and Heather and I could go through a plethora of names of people who were there then who are here or here still here now that were chomping at the bit but they stayed faithful to the church they loved the church they served the people of the church it would have been easy for them to to have left the to have left the church mm -hmm. 
but they loved uh, they loved the church, which is the people. And I think God did good things for the church because of people like, you know, people like you and the Searles and the Goldens. And I mean, we could just go on and on and on with uh, with names of people. Uh, Mike and Carol Smith and just so many people that that this is our church by God's good grace and and I think that faithfulness uh, has paid off. Well, we are so honored that you joined us as our first guest for a podcast. I feel like we finally arrived when we have guests on here Absolutely. to interview. Yes. Um, so typically we sum up our main discussion with a single thought so we can just get that big point across to people just to help them remember what we've talked about. So Dr. Cook, do you have a one final thought and it doesn't have to be one sentence, but if you have one final thought for our listeners or a point of encouragement or anything like that? Yes. I think I would say Jesus above all, Mm. Jesus above all, Jesus first and last and uh and live for jesus serve jesus love jesus jesus above all would be my would be my single three word sentence that's awesome and it's proven out in the books you're writing the the books that point us back to jesus in the bible so yeah that's awesome thank you and i mean you could take a hiatus but i would really hope you wouldn't take it for too long (laughs) (laughs) thank you Well, I told you all, you were not ready, and you were not ready for that interview. Gosh, that was wonderful. It was so good. good. It really was good. It It was was good. good. I think I can speak for Heather on this one, but when we finished the interview, I think we were both just humbled and privileged to not only have a chance to talk to Dr. Cook, but just, I think, absorbing the fact that this, this is our pastor that leads us. Right. And he's, he's so wise, and we're going to put links in the show notes of his books as well that he discussed um, except for of course the one that's still in production on Mm -hmm. Christmas but all the others I will try to link in the show notes so if you want to take a look at those and purchase them that would be awesome so Heather we might want to wrap up this part of our episode today with our one single thought our one single thought we are going to borrow from Dr. Cook's final thought because it was so good and it's Jesus above all Jesus above all. I don't think you can say anything more than that. That was I, perfect. I mean. He saved it, all the hard work. He did. He did it all for us so we didn't have to. And literally I feel like that left us kind of speechless. It was it was really good. Really good. All right. So now we're going to move on to our one random thought. So my one random thought for today is eight is enough. Like the TV show. Like the TV show. Which I watched as a child. You probably watched in reruns. Yeah, it came on right before I was born, I think. Yes, I think it did. Mm -hmm. So the one random thought is eight is enough. So while there are 40 accredited writers in the Bible, there's only eight writers Mm -hmm. who wrote the New Testament books. Which I find fascinating. Dr. Cook is a New Testament scholar, New Testament professor. We think about the New Testament and the impact it has in, in relationship to the gospel, to think that only eight writers wrote all the books in the New Testament is pretty amazing. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as we know, who wrote the four gospels. Luke also wrote the book of Acts. 
Paul is responsible for the Pauline letters, which includes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians, on and mm -hmm. on. Peter and John also took part in writing the New Testament. So James, the brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James. And Jude, the brother of James, also wrote the book of Jude. So although it's been ascribed to, to Paul as being the author, Hebrews is generally considered to have been written anonymously. We don't mm -hmm. know for sure who the author is there. But if you count all that up, that's eight writers that wrote the New Testament book. So eight is enough to get the New Testament written. There's some good stuff in the New Testament. Just That's go out it. and read it, people. Go out and read it. Start with John. If you've never read the Bible, mm -hmm. which if you're listening to our podcast, I think that's awesome. But we're not the end-all be-all. I would recommend reading the book of John mm -hmm. first. And Absolutely. that would be the way I would, would start if you've never read the New Testament. So, Heather, what is your Ricky thought today? This is so, like, breaking the mood. <laughs> My my Ricky thought today is macho macho cat. He's a macho macho cat. <laughs> Ricky, for a cat, he's he's not very big. He's kind of standard size, I guess. But he's not he's not a chunk. He's you know he's a good sized cat, but he's also very long and lanky and kind of got small features. And so I guess you'd call him sort of petite, but mm -hmm. kind of long. But he's, for his size, he is pretty manly for a little boy cat, which is really funny. And so one example of uh, my macho cat is that whenever I get home from somewhere, I come in the door, he's usually there to greet me. And he always greets me like this. <clears throat> and I just think it's really funny because he doesn't have a wimpy meow. Or anything like that. He doesn't... Unless he's trying to make me feel sorry for him. Then he'll start doing these high-pitched mews and stuff. <laughs> but typically... But especially when he's playing and stuff. And he's running around like... He's got the zoomies or just being crazy. He does a lot of those low guttural <laughs> meows. So it's almost like he's grunting with yes, his meow. Yes, he grunts. He's That's a grunter. Funny. And um, he's just really <laughs> funny. And he's also very... Uh, I think he's very mechanically inclined. I think if he was a person... If he was a human being, he would be doing all kinds of mechanical work because... He could change your oil. <laughs> he could change my oil. He could fix my tires, <laughs> fix my fix my dishwasher. Because whenever I do anything around my apartment that needs to be fixed... So, an example, uh, I, I heard somewhere about whenever you have a cat, it's good to quote-unquote block the unders. So, that's keeping a cat from getting under... A bed or something like that and so I saw on this one article that someone suggested putting chicken wire under your bed which I don't need to do that Ricky doesn't really hide under the bed but he does tend to kick things under my stove and my refrigerator so from that article I got an idea hey I'm gonna get some mesh some wire mesh and put that underneath the space at the bottom of the refrigerator so he would stop kicking things underneath there and I'm having to dig it out and you never know what you're going to find under the refrigerator. So I got some wire mesh from Home Depot. I began to cut it in the kitchen on the kitchen floor. I was cutting it up to put underneath the refrigerator and the stove. And Ricky, of course, the macho <laughs> mechanical cat that he is, wants to be right in the middle of it. So he comes up and 
starts batting the mesh with his paw and stepping on it and like patting it down just to make sure. I just, I, I know he's just being a cat, but it really seemed like he was trying to help me. <laughs> like you're really not helping me here, cat. I'm trying to cut this and I'm afraid I'm going to stab you with it. So please <laughs> go away. So I ended up bringing it over to Rose's house because mm-hmm. she has a garage. It's like, I'm going to do this in your garage. If you don't mind, I'm going to cut this wire <laughs> in your garage. But anyway, Ricky is... If there ever was a macho cat, he kind of is. I think he's a macho cat. Um, he's also very athletic. He likes to bounce off furniture. And <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting we're getting to a point. I think he's starting to calm down now. He's he's almost two years old, so we're getting better. That's good. Um, but yeah, if you you never think about animals having male and female personalities, mm-hmm. but my cat really does. He's very manly. The guttural the guttural meow. I think is what. Yeah. Puts it over the edge. Yeah. yeah, it's really funny. So now we're going to move into the one single question, Rose. So today's one single question is, what is your most favorite memory of Dr. Cook? Heather, what's your favorite memory of Dr. Cook? Well, I was in seminary a long time ago, Southern Seminary, and Dr. Cook was my hermeneutics professor. I believe it was in 2001 or 2002. And... I just remember how kind he was in the in that class, and I didn't didn't go to Ninth and O at that time, so I only knew him from seminary. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, um, even during class, somebody would come in the door late, so they may come in five ten minutes late. A lot of people, if you're teaching, you can get annoyed by that. Some professors, you know, they can, you know, you have to be here on time, right when the clock strikes. And I just remember Dr. Cook being so kind to people when they came in the door, even if they were late. He just he would stop the lecture and look at them and say, "Hi, welcome, come in." And that was a, that just struck me as such a kind, gracious way to greet someone coming in to hear you talk about scripture. And mm-hmm. I've always appreciated that. Um, fast forward to now, um, you know, I've been at Ninth and O for many years and gotten to know Jalen, his wife. Um, because she's a director of our women's class and she's my chauffeur. She takes me a lot of places (laughs) sometimes when I need help. If I need her to take me to the airport or whatever, I'll call on her and she's happy to help me if she can. One time I came home from a trip at the airport. I came to pick me up and both of them, I believe it was at Christmas one year, and they both, she and Dr. Cook came to pick me up from the airport. They parked the car and greeted me at the at the exit where everybody comes out from security. So it was like I had my little parents there <laughs> waiting precious. for me. And they said the cutest thing. They said all of our families at our house. We had to get away. It was the cutest thing oh, ever. And so they drove me home. Um, and I don't think I at that moment I I thought to myself I never thought my seminary professor would be driving <laughs> me home with his wife, <laughs> picking me up from the airport. So. Those are some good memories I have of them. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. so small fun fact here. We're hoping to have Jaylen Cook on our podcast also oh, yeah. as a guest. So be on the lookout for that in the coming weeks ahead. Rose, what's your answer to that question? So there's a lot of good memories that I could share. I think one of the, one of the recent, recent one, kind of to echo what Heather said, you know, I've, I've become really good, good friends with Jaylen. She's one of, one of my best friends, actually, but she has been just with me through, they both have been with me through this, this health journey of mine. And 
this last leg of the journey, I was in ICU and not doing well at all and about to have my amputation surgery. And I really thought I was going home to Jesus and mm -hmm. I kept telling everybody I was and they kept saying, mm -hmm. oh, it's God's nope. decision. <laughs> but right before my surgery, I didn't really know who would be there for my surgery um, I knew that uh, my friend Beth, who is like my sister, was going to be out of town. And so I kept asking, not realizing I kept asking, you know, Jaylen was going to be there for my surgery. And I kept saying, are you going to be there? And yeah, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here for your surgery. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, uh, Dr. Cook was with her and she said, I'm going to be here for your surgery and Bill's going to be here too. And I said, oh, Bill, that's good. And I kept repeating it over and over. <laughs> Bill, Bill, he's going to be here. That's good. <laughs> Bill, that's good. And, of course, Dr. Cook took it as I'm the fa You know, he goes, everybody likes me best. <laughs> so that's not really a memory that I can recount on my own, but I've been told that's what yeah. happened. Um, but what I love, one of the things I love is Dr. Cook always says, that every child has a soul that will never mm. die. And when whenever we do parent dedication, whenever we're talking about preschool ministry, children's ministry, he'll always say every child has a soul that will never die. And that's so impactful because we all have a soul that will never die. And it just shows the importance of, you know, what it means to understand that we all have a soul that will never die. And we need to, to realize mm. that, you know, we have a choice whether we will spend eternity with with god or separated from him mm -hmm. so that's my my special memories a special special man and a special family and absolutely we're, we're blessed to have dr cook and jaylen cook his mm -hmm. wife with us at ninth and no so i know one or both of you are listening and just know that we love you guys thank you so yes. much for what you do for your church family absolutely Okay, well, that wraps up this first monumental interview episode <laughs> that we've done. We hope to do more interviews with other people we are working on. Stay yeah, let tuned. us know. You know, respond, send us a, a note through my website at uh, rosebooth.net. Ask us anything or contact us. Let us know if you like this. If you have ideas for guests that you mm -hmm. would like to hear on the podcast. We have aspirations for some pretty big names. But we want to get get a little bit more exposure out there. So, but we, if you like this kind of format, we'd love to do. We're gonna, we're hopefully gonna do more of them. Okay, well that's the episode for today. So we'll see you in two weeks for our next episode on December eighth. And until next time, don't follow your heart, follow God. We hope you've enjoyed one single thought. Our theme music is provided by Lindsay Cook, and we're so happy you joined us. Please be sure to share this episode with a friend, and don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. We'd love it if you'd rate and review our podcast so more people can find us and join our tribe of listeners. 